Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. We bless your holy name. Thank you, Lord. All right, let's give the Wednesday night team one more hand. Uh, I thought I would just start out with a little trivia, just in case that we ever do a Bethel trivia game. I want y'all to be, you know, informed. So the Purple Book, which on Wednesday nights, what we're doing, if you, if you don't know what we're doing, we're a little bit different. I'm, I'm basically going to show you how to use the Purple Book to disciple, your, disciple someone. You learn, you know, you learn it, and then you can disciple someone. I'm going to show you how easy that is to use a tool. If you don't have one and you want one, we do have some on the front row. Uh, it's $50. Make it out to JT McCraw. It'll be great. Uh, if you, have, if you want one. So, little trivia, though. This book used to be called the Spiritual Foundations book. Uh, it still has it down here in small biblical foundations for building strong disciples. Uh, it used to be blue. And then they sent it to the printer, and it came back purple. So then everybody was like, well, you know, where's that purple book? Henceforth, the purple book. It's that simple. Isn't it amazing how many things come out of an accident? That's just an accident, and, you know, we capitalized on it. So, uh, and just so you know, there's about uh, 1.5 million in print in 25 languages. So it's not just a us thing, it's a, it's a world thing. And this book has been responsible for uh, really helping people understand why they believe what they believe and help them get foundations in their life so that when storms come, like I said last week, you, you, you may be uh, hurt a little bit, but you won't be destroyed. So it's really helping us build a storm-proof life, okay? Does that make sense? So first of all, tonight, we'll, we're going to do things different every Wednesday night a little bit. Uh, I'm going to bring up Logan. Logan, come on up here. Logan Reagan. He's going to give his a, a, a brief, everybody say brief, Logan. I know how this works. So uh, hand me a microphone there, Mr. Oh, he's got one. Uh, he, we're going to talk about lordship and obedience tonight, which is chapter two in the purple book. And he's going to give a testimony of how that, the, the lordship and obedience really affected his life, okay? So Logan, you can tell a little bit about yourself if you want to, but I don't want to steal your thunder. So 45 besides you're just, minutes, besides right? you're just young and good looking and making me mad. Go ahead. So yeah, my name's Logan Reagan. Um, a little bit about my testimony. I won't go into about who I am, but just, I grew up in a broken home. Um, my family got divorced, or my parents got divorced when I was around four years old. Um, so grew up in that environment, um, really toxic. And by they, they went to church. I knew who God was. Um, it just wasn't instilled in me to... Um, to live this out. Um, it was just kind of practice, so to speak. Um, you know, but uh, knew who God was nonetheless. When I, when I was 13, I um, got baptized in the Holy Spirit, and so that created a new passion um, to know who God is, and I wanted to learn who this miracle worker was, essentially. You know, but um, so I was passionate, and I was learning about Christ, and somewhere down the road, I don't know, 14 or so. I, I wanted to see what the, um, the world had to offer. So I did. And I went to experiment and see how that was. Um, and I stopped relying on God to get me through my struggles. And throughout life, 
I, I felt like I never fit in. I always felt like an outcast. And even throughout high school, college, elementary, so forth, I, I just couldn't find my niche, so to speak. Um, and, um, you know, and so that continued on until I got um, graduated, came up here to then NADC, now Lincoln Tech, when I was 18. And I got plugged into a church in Franklin. I learned the importance of prayer and worship. And I started to do devotional times. I started to sacrifice uh, my selfishness of, of wanting to um, indulge on in what I wanted to do and started to worship more, um, pray, pray more, and did that. And I, I saw, um, I stopped putting my identity into what people were saying about me and what others were trying to, um, you know, you know, believing that I was alone, I, I, I stopped um, accepting those lies of the enemy through this uh, process. And then um, July of 14, 2014, somewhere around there, I met a guy named Ricky Dar. He was on my campus evangelizing and sharing the gospel, just passionate guy from Bethel sharing the gospel. Um, and uh, I talked to him. He taught me about the SALT method, taught me how to share my testimony and we went downtown a few times, shared our testimony, and, and um, just kind of plugged me in. And, and the last week I was here in Nashville, 2014, July, he invited me to Bethel for a Sunday service. So I came, I met this guy named Jason DiVincenzo after service, and he um, asked me to, um, if I wanted to be a disciple. I was like, well, what does that mean? What's, what's a disciple? And he said, just learn more about Jesus. I was like, absolutely, I want to learn more about Jesus. Um, but I completed my time here in Nashville, and I went back to Columbus, Georgia, where I'm from. I completed my undergrad there, and this, um, Jason was discipling me there for four years, long distance, over the phone, Purple Book, one-to-one, -one, and other things. And so through this, I learned what lordship and discipleship truly meant. I learned how to surrender my will and to start following God wholeheartedly. So every time I came up to a tough decision, it seemed like there was just a fork in the road. Right, and so I, I could go my will, my desires, which was business, or I could follow what the Lord had for me, and you know where He said He would satisfy me, I would be much more satisfied going here. So I followed God's will. I surrendered my will, and um, and one thing led to another. Um, I got connected with Pastor Jerry Turney, and he connected me with Pastor Rice. Pastor Rice came to my campus in March of 2018. We had 120 students show up for the God's Not Dead event. Out of that, 10 students wanted to know more about Christ. And from March 2018 to May, I led a Bible study to where um, once I graduated, there ended up being 10 people baptized. Um, wow. And they wanted to know more about Christ, and they continued to do so. And so the whole point is you surrender your life. You follow God's lordship. You, you acknowledge that there is a Lord over your life. Things begin to open. So I'll be up here going full-time ministry, helping with the local campuses, and helping Pastor Rice with his God Not Dead events throughout the U.S. So when you say yes to the Lord and you're available, things begin to open. That's good. All right. Thank you, Logan. If you were listening, you could follow the thread of relationships and how that works. I mean, you'll never know what a simple gesture of spending time with someone to let them learn about Christ and then let the scripture do the work. It's the great thing about the scripture, we don't have to do much work. It's the Holy Spirit that does the work in somebody's life. Uh, now we're there to help and we're there to be available, 
but man, Scripture, if we trust it, and we'll learn tonight what we're gonna, who we're going to trust, uh, man, it can change somebody's life. And I hope that you're in here because somebody didn't change your life, but Christ changed your life. So you're, you are the, um, you're a product of someone telling you about Christ. Is anybody in here that wasn't told about you just learned by a tree? Okay, good. All right, so I'll let that sink in for a minute. Um, what we're going to do is I'm going I'm, I'm to do this just like it was a class. And basically, because I want you, or if I'm sitting with someone, uh, Anthony's going to heckle me already, so I might just start heckling him back just first off here. Uh, I know you are. But it's like, what would I do, because Anthony's life is a mess, so what would I do to help him become a follower of Christ? I would sit down with him at the Purple Book, the coffee shop, his house, the church, wherever, and we'd just start going through this. So I'm going to treat you like we're sitting at a coffee shop. Is that good? And I'm going to show you that uh, all you really need is a Purple Book and a personal story, because your personal story is powerful. And people are looking for someone that was actually transformed by this book, the scripture, not the purple book, but scripture, okay? Is everybody with me? Is everybody with me? I really like response. Okay, so if you're following, we're uh, at page 21, and we're we're just going to start by reading these scriptures here, Uh, because this is a setup, Deuteronomy 30, I don't have these for you back there, but... Uh, Deuteronomy 30, 16 says, I command you today to love your God, to walk in obedience in him, and to keep his commandments and decrees and laws. Then you will live. Luke 6, 46, one of my favorites. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? As, as for those who come to me and hear my words and put them into practice, they put them into practice. You have to put things into practice. You can't just read it once and then walk away like my workout plan. Okay, I will show you what you are like. Now he's, he's saying, this one, I'm gonna show you what you're like when you do this. You are like a man building a house who dug down deep and laid foundations on a rock. When a flood came, the torrent struck the house, but could not shake it because it was well built. Now the opposite is true if you don't practice it. When the storms come, guess what? You're gonna be swept away. John 14, 15, if you love me, Keep my commandments. Next page, the top of the page. To say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is not only son of God, but that he is God himself in the flesh. Realizing this shows the greatness and grandeur of God's love, that he would become a man and die for us. This revelation changes our hearts and minds forever. Christ's lordship also means that his words are truly God's words. Read that again. Christ's lordship also means that his words are truly his words and must be trusted and obeyed. To say that we trust and obey Christ doesn't mean salvation depends on our being perfect, thank God, but rather following Jesus as Lord is the attitude of complete surrender and obedience to Christ. Just like Logan just said, complete obedience led him down a path to where he is now. And I guarantee you back in 2012, 13, 14, 15, he did not think that he would be here. But the Lord has a way of knowing a better plan for our life than what we do and than what we think. 
because we don't have it all figured out. The older I get, and I'm, you know, just in my 30s, is that the, the older I get, the more I realize that God has really had his hand on my life the whole time. Even in my sin, he had his hand on my life. And that's, you have, if you sit and think about that, that's pretty, because we, you know, we shuck people aside so easily, right? They do us wrong, we get, you know, well, I ain't gonna be their friend anymore. I mean, even in my sin, he died for me. That's, uh, you get that revelation, and boy, that'll, that'll make you love a person like Christ, right? So, let's look at uh, some questions here. Why did Paul, what did Paul write about Jesus? If he's gonna be our Lord, let's learn about him. What did he write about him in Philippians 2, 6 through 11? This is up on the screen. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Interesting that God does not, Christ is not asking us to do anything that he hasn't done prior. Therefore, God has highly, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. That what did he do? If we look at verse seven, what did he, but he emptied himself, not counting himself as equal. Now, I would not, I'm just being, I would not do that. If I were in heaven, I'd be, no, I'm equal, and I'm not going down there. A bunch of crazies down there, send Michael. But he did it out of love. It's very important to understand how, I mean, you know, we, we have twisted love to a degree where it, love doesn't really mean what love means scripturally. Okay, so you have to be very aware of that. He also exalted himself, God, because, he, because he emptied himself, God exalted him. Now there's a lesson. When we empty ourselves. Logan emptied himself, God exalted him to a place where he did not know that he would be. And he couldn't manipulate the situation in order to get here. And a lot of times we will uh, try to manipulate God because we wanna be at a certain place in our life. Maybe we've not done everything that we thought we would or we thought our lives would be different. So we start manipulating situations in order to get where we want to go, not realizing if we would just empty ourselves that God will take us to a place that we can't even think, hope, or imagine. What does Paul say that we should do after we receive Jesus? Talking again about lordship, Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, therefore, as you have received Jesus the Lord, so walk with him. Remember he went walking with Adam in the garden? He wants us to walk. There's something about walking with God rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So we are to continue in him, we're to strengthen our faith, and we're to have overflowing thanksgiving. You know, lordship, just a little, couple little side notes, and what I'm, again, I'm teaching you here, what I'm doing here is I've actually read more than what the purple book told me to read because I wanna learn more about lordship. And hopefully that's what reading scripture does. It makes you curious. 
It's good to get curious about Christ and go, what really kind of man was he? Right? So lordship, just so you know, is mentioned in the, more times in Scripture than Savior. Like a lot more times. Okay? It's really a lordship means a change of allegiance. Before Christ, guess who you were in allegiance with? The enemy, the devil. You were in allegiance with him. And when you became, like we talked about last week, salvation, when you became a Christian, a Christ follower, your allegiance changed. So therefore, when you change allegiance, rules and ways to do things also change with that. And we have to go to the source of those in order to find out what they are. Does that make sense? So what do we learn here in chapter, or lesson one of chapter two? There's my summation of this. Following Jesus is the attitude of complete surrender and obedience to him. When we empty ourselves, we actually make room to be filled with God. But you can't, if you're full of something, and I've been full of a lot of stuff, I've been told. When I'm full of stuff, I there's no room for God. So I have to empty myself, empty my attitudes, empty my wants, my desires, my ambitions, all of that stuff so God can pour his thoughts and his plans and his all into my life. Okay? And then more and really important, lordship is a process. Uh, you don't get saved and then Christ becomes Lord, and then you're perfect. Like, there is a process to go through. And most of the time, it's a painful process. Because typically, we only grow in struggle and in pain. We grow in prosperity, but we really grow in prosperity of how to handle prosperity. And a lot of times, we fail at that. I know I fell at that. But it is a process, and, we have, and that's why we have to be gracious with each other. And that's why we have to be forgiving, quick to forgive, understanding that it's a process. And maybe somebody's just in a different spot than you are. And you've been there, and you want them to get where you are faster than how you got there, but that's not how it works. Right? So lesson two is the narrow door. What is this talking about? The Bible teaches that we are saved by God's grace, not by our own deeds. We cannot earn eternal life by good behavior. It's very important. We must receive the gift of Jesus, Jesus' work on the cross. However, when true salvation occurs, the evidence of our lives should be obvious. Now, what what happens in this is it's an interchange. Now, we live in a culture that outward appearance is extremely important. In fact, you know, I love when people say, oh, you can't judge me. They only say that when they're in sin and you're calling out that sin, right? That's when they say that. Because then they judge me all the time. And we're judging people. I mean, there are shows on TV that all they do is judge folk. Like, you can't sing, bye, you know, go get something else. I mean, we're, it's, it, if you really just sit and think, we are a culture of judgment. 
We judge everything. But we judge the outward more than the inner. Christ actually judges the inner. I mean, he looks at the inner and goes, I'm going to change you inside and the outside will just follow right along. He's a lot different than our culture. <laughs> um, it's important to note, too, that inner transformation inevitably will uh, produce good fruit. We'll look at it right here. It's in, uh, where are we at? Matthew 7, 13 through 20. Let's read this. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it will be are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or, fig, or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the lake of fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. Now, we use this a lot, and you should use this a lot, because we do judge people, but we've got to judge people the right way. It's like I, if I'm in sin, and I'm judging your sin, the same sin, that's not good, because then it's, Scripture says it's going to come back on me. It's not going to be good for me. But if I, we can righteously judge people. I'll give you an example, uh, and this may uh, hurt some feelings and be offensive, but I can't help that because it's scripture. But I'm going to be nice, okay? So don't throw anything at me. Often we at the church get um, cards or, you know, uh, people come through membership or we get to know them and find out that there's a, it's a couple living together. Now, I know our culture has said, fine. Make a financial decision. It's a financial decision, right? Uh, and I know that, again, there are circumstances and situations that it's just the easiest thing to do, right? But the scripture is clear about that, about sexuality and immorality. So we look at the fruit of their life and go, this is not good fruit. This is not something that I want my children to eat. This is not something I want to eat. This is not good fruit. And it's actually hurting you in the long run, short-term gain, right? They think it's short-term, you know, man, we, we really need this. But long-term, all what they're doing is building mistrust in a relationship. And I've got a hundred examples. Pastor Carroll's got a hundred examples of people that have done that and later in life have looked back and said, man, I'm paying the price for that now. And mistrust, and it, mistrust is the biggest one because there's something about saying I'm a Christian and then knowing that you're not doing something right and continuing in that. That it builds, 
discredits you, even in the people that love you, that will continue to love you, right? But that's a, something that we look at fruit and go, and we do it not, I'm, I'm, I mean, you can't get nicer than Pastor Carol. You can't. I mean, she's just, if I ever went in trouble, I want her talking to me. So I don't want Pastor Bruce, I want Carol. So trust me on this. I've had both. It's so nice coming from her. But man, that's fruit that's not, it's not that we're mean. We know that when that's digested, digested over and over, it's going to make them sick. And it actually could kill them. Now, I don't mean physically, spiritually. Okay? So that's looking at fruit and saying, ah, it's just not adding up to what Scripture says. Right? Is everybody, and then look, there's a, there's a, thousand things out there that I could use as an example. That just came to my mind just because we deal with it quite often because of our cultural, our culture has says that that's okay. By the way, anytime the culture says it's okay, that's a red flag. Okay, just, that's just a little, you know, you got to go, wait a minute. All right. So, uh, let's, verse 16 just said, I mean, here's a question. How can we tell who is a real follower it's question number two of Jesus and who is not. I just said, by their fruit. I promise you, if you plant an orange tree, lemons are not growing. I mean, I'll put all my life money on that one, right? It's not happening. So when we say that we're a Christian, and we're, which means a Christ follower, there should be fruit in our lives that say, okay, yes, I am. Now, again, it must be said we're not perfect, and there's always things that we're going to have to work on, okay? And that's, that's not the point. It's the practicing of the same repetitive thing over and over and over again. Is that, is that clear? Okay, good. Now, just for fun, uh, we're going to read Exodus 20, 1 through 17. I say just for fun because I don't actually know how many people know the Ten Commandments. So I, I'm not going to assume that you know it because I'm assuming that, look, we're sitting at coffee, right? And I don't know what you know. So we're going to go over the Ten Commandments real quick. Isn't that fun? It's like Sunday school. Okay? Here we go. Some of you may be shocked at these. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a, a, car, a carved image or a likeness of anything that is hev in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them for I am the Lord your God. I am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third to the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Okay, back to the commandments. You shall not take the Lord the name of your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's a strong sentence. You should read that again. Look at that. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless. That's a good word, who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor 
and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days, now his exp- he keeps going, his explanation. For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in, in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. I just got kind of convicted. Hang on a minute, I got to repent. Okay. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be, may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. Anybody under 18, I'm going to read that again, okay? Honor, there's another scripture, the first Corinthians says obey, I like that one better, but we'll go with honor here. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long. My mom used to use that against me all the time because she said, your days are about to end, bro. Okay. I did give her a lot of reasons to say that. Um, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. Ugh. That's a big one. Okay. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. Don't have a problem with that. Or his male servant. Or his his female servant. Or his ox. Or his donkey. Or anything that is your neighbor's. That was the Ten Commandments. Now, some of y'all, it's the first time that you've really read those. And that's okay, because that's why we're here. Showing that, man, these commandments were given us because God loves us. One time I told my daughter uh, that we were talking about why she can't do something. And I, even, I forgot what it was. And, you know, it's one of those moments that, as a dad, you just go, I, I hope that I use the right analogy. And she gets this, Right? And uh, so I I said, well, babe, you know, look, we're talking about rules. That's what we're talking about. You know, why we have so many rules? Which I don't have a lot of rules, but we have rules. And I said, well, because you, 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 I said, look at the fence in the backyard. Look at the fence. Why do we have a fence in our backyard? Well, to keep Winston, our dog, Winston Churchill, it's true, um, Winston, we want to protect him and keep him in our yard so he doesn't run out in the road and get hit. So you actually, I said, a fence is like a rule. So we put a fence up because we love our dog. And I love you and I don't want somebody, I don't want, I don't want you to get out of my sight. Not to, uh, you know, 11-year-old kid, that made sense, so thank God. But it's true even with us. God doesn't give us these commandments and rules because he's mean. He puts them in place because he loves us so much he wants to protect us because you protect what you love. You don't protect what you don't love. Every man in here knows, if you're like me, you just come after my wife. And I mean, every Christian hat I got is off for a moment, right? Right? Now, I think it's actually Christian to want to hurt somebody who's hurting my wife. So, anyway, but that's what rare, that's, that's, that, that's how God is like, don't mess with my kids. And I put these things in place because I want to protect them and love them. That's what these commandments are for. So we can't look at it like what we don't get to do because I know as that's, that's what we do. We really have to write, have the right perspective is that this is how much he loves me. That he would actually take the time to a, a bad God would be a God that didn't tell you his expectations but held you to them. 
That would be a bad God. But he tells us, man, this is, this is for life. This is for you to live a prosperous life, an abundant life, a life that you can actually have peace in the midst of a storm. How many want that? I want that. The Bible declares that Jesus Christ is the source of our righteousness, which means right standing with God. Yet God's laws have not been done away with. There is still such a thing as right and wrong. Did you know that? There is still such a thing as right and wrong, and it's not what's right for me is right and what's right for you is right. That's not the right and wrong I'm talking about. When we break these laws, it's still called sin. The difference is now that now as Christians, we not only can be forgiven, but we also have the ability to just say no. And that's the power of becoming a Christian, that I can literally say no. It's a true story. I was with a witch. Went to the Wiccan church. This is back in the uh, late 80s. And she had... She had become a Christian. It's fascinating talking to her. And one of the guys I was with said, what, what, what was the one thing that drew you to Christ? She goes, because I could tell him no. She goes, because when I was a Wiccan in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in that church, I couldn't say no to sin. But God gave me a choice that I can actually say no to him. So therefore, I say yes to him all the time because he gives me the choice. But that's what sin does. Sin, allow, it doesn't allow you to say no to it. It only allows you to say no to God. But Christ, when he becomes Lord, now we have a real choice. You can actually say no to God if you want to. I wouldn't. I mean, I have. It didn't turn out great. But, man, we're given the choice because choice to me is, the, is because he loves us. And we're not forced to do anything. So don't think lordship is a beating over the head and you've got to do these. No, I don't have to do these things. I get to do these things. And when I get to do these things, I live in peace internally. And I'm transformed internally. So what is the difference between those who love Jesus? Question number seven. And those who do not, let's look at John 14, 15, and 23, 24. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will what? Keep my commandments. Pretty simple. 23 and 24 says, Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him and he will come to him and make our home with him. I love that. That's such a great picture. That he will come and live, that means live in, like, live in my home, live in my inner home. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Let's look at uh, question 10 here. What is the reason people live in sin and still think they're Christians. Now, we just read Luke 46 and saying there's going to be a lot of people that say, Lord, Lord, I mean, I, I never knew you, he's going to say, because you didn't do what I said. There's going to be many like that. Remember, that it's a wide door, wide gate. So 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10 says this, 
Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral nor idolaters, adulterers, or men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor rivalers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, It is a fact that self-deception is the worst type of deception. And how do you defeat how do you defeat self-deception? You need people around you to tell you, hey. It's like Pastor Rice told me one time, if you he said, if you don't have anyone in your life that can tell you no and you listen to them, you don't have anybody. So we need people in our life that can stop us from hurting ourselves. We we say accountability is this. Accountability is giving someone permission to save you from yourself. Because I can do a lot of damage. Nobody has done as much damage to me as I've done to myself. And I'm sure the story is true with you, right? But self-deception, man, we have to have let other people speak into our lives and say, man, this is, you know, I see this little crack. I see how you spoke to your wife. I see how you did this. Man, are you okay? I mean, I saw you looking at the waitress's backside when you walked by. Man, you doing good with that love. I mean, all these questions that are, that are hard questions to ask, but necessary questions to ask if we truly love somebody. So what did we learn in this chapter? We cannot earn eternal life with good behavior. Remember, that was, I read that earlier. Which is kind of funny because, like, we're all good. I mean, that's funny to me. Like, I have good behavior. Um, we will be known by the fruit we bear. You know, we can never hide, this is, again, we can never hide the fruit that we bear. There's no way you can hide it. People try all the time, but this just, you cannot hide it. It's God's gift to you that you can't hide it. If we love God, we will keep his commandments. And deception is the reason people live in sin, but still think they're Christians. So they've been deceived by the deceiver. So they go through the, here's what that means practically. It's like I grew up in church. Okay, my mom was secretary. We lived in the parsonage a couple of years. We were best friends with the pastor and his wife. I was best friends with his, with his kids. I went to church camp. I did all of that stuff. And all I did was learn how to do, how to be, a, how, to, how to do Christianity. Meaning I learned, it was like a learned skill. Now I didn't know Jesus from the back of my hand. I mean, I knew who he was because we talked about it, but I didn't have a transforming relationship with him that transformed me on the inside. So I grew up my whole life till I was 36 years old thinking that I was a Christian. And you know what I did? I'll never forget Lyndon Allen asking me one day, he goes, do you have any fruit to show that you're a Christian? Your mama, I mean, it's the only thing I had, you know. Ask me crazy questions like that. But when I really sat down and looked at it, look, I'm a nice guy. I treat people nice. I mean, it's not like if you're not a Christian, you're mean, right? But when it comes to a, a transforming spirit, the fruits of the spirit, all the things that Scripture talks about, did I have it? No. And I even led people to the Lord, by the way. I mean, I was in a Christian band for three years, traveled. You know, I didn't preach. Mike preached, and we, people got saved. And I, I was a part. 
but didn't know Jesus myself. So I'm the guy that, that, that looked like a Christian but was not. And if I'd have died and went to heaven, I mean, if I'd have died, well, I wouldn't have gone to heaven. If I'd have died and like stood before God, I would be the one, he's like, I don't know you. I was like, I've been in thousands of church services. I even like fake spoken tongues. I mean, that's just what you do, you know, just don't want people to ask questions, you just fake it. But yet I'd have died and went to hell. And there's going to be many people like that, sadly. In one of his letters, Paul mentions a particular disturbing case of immorality. What did Paul say the church should have done? This is very, uh, this is very sobering. 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 2 says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not tolerated among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from you. Now, the reason I say this, this is kind of a, we look at this as harsh because we're all too, like, kind these days. Like, oh, you know, that's just, that's just, that's just him. That's just who he is, you know. Teach his own, you know, all that stuff that we say. But the, but, but the Lord says, no, 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 there's people that we should separate ourselves from because what happens is we, we should be the influencers, not the influenced. We should influence people to want to go to come to Christ, not us be influenced to walk away from him. But so many times that happens. It's about relations, it's about who we hang out with. I heard someone say, you know, name of your five people you hang around, I'll, t- I'll show you your destiny. That's why I hang around Pastor Carol and Pastor Bruce, good destiny there. Got somebody mean, somebody nice, it's good. Balance. He's actually not mean, I don't want to say he's a mean guy. He's just, you know, is he here? Speaking of mean, to be separate doesn't mean we should be cut off ourselves off the rest of the world. After all, Jesus also tells us to be salt and light. So here's the balance. I can't just separate myself and not, okay, I'm a Christian. I'm going to go to a Christian school. I'm going to listen to Christian radio. I'm going to go to church. That's all the people I'm going to hang out with. No. That's pepper, I guess. I mean, it's not salt, okay? We have to be salt to the world. We can't be salt and light from a distance, Jesus himself was criticized for being a friend of sinners. But like Jesus, God wants us to have a transforming influence on the world around us, not the other way around. And that's where you need somebody to go, no, 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 you, man, you're, I see you stepping into that a little too much, and you're becoming more like them instead of them like you, right? That's why you need somebody to help you with that. I told, you in my, I told you in my purple book, I got all these notes. You know, I've written over the years and I've stolen stuff from people, so I'm just seeing what I'm going to steal at the moment. So, uh, 
This is great. This was said in our class last year. Thought it was powerful. God's grace doesn't provide permission to sin, but power for holiness. God, isn't that good? People say some great things. Um, let's look at uh, let's let's look at what scripture do I want to go to? Let's look at uh, Matthew eighteen twenty one and twenty two. This is uh, talking about lordship and relationships. This is an intricate part of a, of a healthy relationship, okay? Matthew 18, 21 through 22 says, Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how, many, how often will my brother sin against me? And I forgive him. Like seven times. I love that. We always try to roll with that bar, are we? I was just, on that eighth time, I'm, I'm taking him out. But I, it's seven times. Jesus said to him, I did, not, I did not say to you seven times. So that kind of tells me that Peter kind of twisted those words a little bit. Like he heard seven. It's 70 times seven. If you want to do the math, are you math guys? That's 490 times that you got to forgive somebody. Now don't keep count. You're not going to reach that anyway. But forgiveness is an important part of our relationship with people and with God. Because, again, Christ doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't done first, right? So, uh, and really forgiveness, just so you know, is a credibility issue as well. When you're talking with someone and you've not forgiven somebody, it's kind of hard to talk about it. It's kind of hard to even talk about God's forgiveness for someone. Like God can forgive you. Well, what about that, you know, I mean, I know families that they hate each other. They don't even spend time with each other and literally hate. But yet they'll go preach, true story. They'll go preach to thousands but hate their sister. The credibility lost, even amongst that family, is pretty amazing because they don't understand that nobody even listens to them. And they're pretty, I mean, they're pretty great when they get up and preach, right? But the credibility loss of forgiveness is important. Forgiveness of yourself, I think that's the hardest because we know us better than anyone else. We actually know our dark thoughts, our secrets, the things that we wanted to do, like you really wanted to kill him when he did that, but you didn't tell anybody, right? There's things, I wanted to, you know, Road rage, I want to take that guy out because, you know, driving in the left lane slow. By the way, if you do that, you're getting on my nerves. <laughs> Don't do that, okay? You see a blue truck behind you flashing lights. I'm just, that has got, that law right there is put in place for me to work on patience, I promise you. My wife's back there grinning because my wife thinks there's a brake on the right side. Of my, there's no brake over there. She thinks there is. But it's important that we forgive. And look, forgiveness, it is a command. It is a command. We don't get out of it. But it's also a process dependent, dependent upon the depth of pain. So if somebody hurts you, it's, and look, it's realistic. We're, I mean, God's not thinking, okay, something just happened to you that's a divorce or somebody maybe a murder, I mean, just some crazy thing that happened. I know a friend of mine that was, that was raped, 
and left for dead. And now she didn't get up and go, man, I forgive you. Now, years later, she got through the process of forgiveness and forgave. What's amazing about the church down in South Carolina, right? Kid walks in, we know the story. Uh, by the way, Emmanuel's coming out this movie on it next week. It's an, it's an amazing movie based on the story. White kid has white supremacist uh, uh, thoughts and, and just all the things, the darkness inside of him, walks into a church, African-American church. They have Bible study. So he hears them Bible study. They're sweet to him. They're kind to him. He takes out a gun and shoots nine dead. 48 hours later, they're on national TV going, we forgive you. That's just mind-boggling, and people didn't even know what to do with it because it's just not normal. But that t- tells you, the, I mean, what it told me was about those, that church, the depth of understanding of God's love for them and what God's forgiven them of was deep in order to come to that conclusion that fast because that was friends, that was family, that was mothers, that was dad, I mean, that was that was relationships, long-time relationships. So forgiveness is very important. I'm telling you, when that dude gets out of his fog and all the demons out of him, I pray that those words haunt him and brings him to Christ before they kill him. He's death row, so good. Okay. So the quality of our relationship with other believers is a crucial testimony to an unbelieving world. To I said, they didn't know what to do with that type of forgiveness. We should be able to forgive and love not just our friends, but even our enemies. It's easy to forgive our friends, right? Very difficult to forgive enemies. Or maybe you think it's the the opposite. You don't know my family. Um, We must realize that we are in a spiritual battle and we must be trained and determined not to allow bitterness and unforgiveness to push us into darkness. And that is a true statement. Bitterness and forgiveness will absolutely push you into a dark place that you don't wanna go to. So what do we learn from this chapter? That we are to have a transforming influence on the world around us, not the other way around. Forgiveness is necessary. Forgiveness also brings unity. We didn't talk about unity, but where there's unity, Psalms 133, 1-3 says what? God commands a blessing where there's unity. So that's, forgiveness brings that unity. And we must not allow unforgiveness and bitterness to push us into darkness. Last chapter, can you pass the test? Well, let's look. The book of 1 John describes how we can elevate the real condition of our lives. Deception is a very powerful force. The devil is the master deceiver. Many have fallen under the influence of his deception. And many have prayed prayers, attended Bible studies, or even joined a church, but their lives have not truly been changed by Christ. This lesson underscores the Bible's teaching that Christians saved by grace, that we are expected to live a new way in relationship to God and to each other. What is that? Well, let's look at 1 John 2, 3 through 4 says this, and by this we know that we have come to know him. If we keep his commandments, if we keep his commandments, whoever says I know him but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. 
Strong words. If you, if you want a feel-good book, don't read 1 John. Okay? It's not a feel-good book. But, man, it is, it, it, is, it, is, it is direct, and it's in your face for a purpose. Okay? There to help us. Uh, 1 John uh, so, I'm sorry, what does the Bible say about the people who claim to be Christians but do not follow God's word? That they are liars. Just read. And that the truth isn't in them. Now, remember when it said that, that, that Christ comes and he's going to come and live in your home? The truth isn't in you because truth is actually a person. Jesus is, doesn't have truth. He is truth. Personified. So that's why it can't. It can't be in you because he ain't living in you. He's not living in your home. What does God command? 1 John 3, 11. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should what? Love one another. Not in our culture's terms, but in scriptural and how Christ loved us. And there is a difference. Matthew twenty two thirty four through 40 says this, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, what is the greatest, what is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And these two commandments depend all the, uh, depend, is that right? Depend on all, all, all the law and the prophets. Got it, sorry. My notes are wrong. So what does God command that we love one another? And like I talked about earlier, when you love somebody, you actually want to help them become all that God has created them to be and not be jealous of it. And I'm not even gonna go into that one. And don't even compare yourself to them because God's gifted you for things that he's not gifted anybody else to do. If you got your eyes on somebody else's gifts and trying to compare, you'll never fulfill what God's put you here to do. He loved you enough to give you a, a, a great uh, so we say, man, there's just greatness in you to accomplish. You can't, you can't figure that out by looking at somebody else. You have to figure that out by looking at Christ, the creator of who you are and of your destiny. How can we know the difference between children of God and children of the devil? That just sounds funny to say, isn't it? 1 John 3, 7 through 10. Do I have that up there? Where do I go to here? Sorry. Oh, 1 John 2, 9, sorry. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whosoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. It's, it's extremely important that we learn to love one another in the manner that Christ shows us. And that is forgiveness, forgiveness because forgiveness brings unity, which makes the relationship strong. 
And even with parents, by the way, right? Kids in here, parents love you. They want what's best for you. Even my parents at 70 and 75 still want what's best for me. That's why the scripture says to honor them because they actually could be right about some stuff, right? They're still older than me. They still know a lot more than me. They've been through life a lot more than me. And they're there to help me. Because, and to me, that's the example of why God gives us all these things to do because he loves us enough to tell us, to keep us. So what do we learn? That whoever practices righteousness is righteous. That's interesting. Whoever practices sin is of the devil. Now, again, practicing. Uh, funny when you look at a doctor or an attorney, what's it say they do? A doctor is practicing medicine. An attorney is practicing law. I want to go to a doctor that has like perfecting medicine, right? I don't practice on me. But that is, that, that is a pretty good picture of what Christianity is. It's I'm a practicing Christian. I'm practicing Christianity. It's not that I'm, that, you know, uh, it's not that I'm, I'm, I'm always learning. I'm all, that's what practicing means. Always, attorney does, I talked to one of my friends that's an attorney, and I called him one day on the phone, and I asked him about this law, and I said, what, you know, what's that, what, what is that law? And he goes, I, I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I said, man, you're an attorney. You're supposed to know this stuff. He goes, man, I'm a contract attorney. I don't know nothing about that. <laughs> It's like, well, he goes, but hang on a minute. And he came back and told me the answer. I was like, I thought you said you didn't know. He goes, look, I'm an attorney. I know where to go find the answer. I thought that was a great picture of, look, I'm a practicing Christian. Doesn't mean I know everything. Doesn't mean I do everything right. But I know where to go find the answer. And, that's, and that is what, when, when God becomes Lord and we obey him, that means that we're practicing, not sinning, practicing Christianity. And that, that's a sign to the world that we have truly been changed and are being, we, we have been changed and are being changed from the inside out. Amen? Let me pray. Lord, thank you that you love us enough, Lord, like we said earlier, that you didn't set up expectations and not tell us and then expect us to withhold them. Lord, you actually gave us clearly, Lord, what your expectations are. Lord, not out of a mean God or a, a lording over, but Lord, because you protect what you love. And Lord, you love us enough to protect us from ourselves. Lord, thank you so much for all that you do for us. Lord, bless everyone in here. Lord, let the, let the relationships between mother and sons and fathers and daughters and mothers and fathers and grandparents, Lord, I pray that they would flourish. Lord, I pray that forgiveness would come. Lord, I pray that even tonight, Lord, that they would be reminded of things that maybe they haven't forgiven. Lord, it's the stumbling block in their relationship with you. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, that you would convict their hearts and move them toward love, move them toward forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Amen. Thank you, Pastor JT. Yeah, let me just say next week, we're gonna do chapter five. So we're gonna skip because 
Pastor Bruce did such a great job on repentance and baptism and the Holy Spirit. So if you need to, if you need to know that, uh, go watch on the media on Sunday, okay? But we're going to do chapter 5, okay? All right, thank you. Can we give the Lord a hand for that word? Let's all just stand up as we get ready to be dismissed. We do want to thank you for coming. I know we went just a little bit over. We want to encourage you to pick up your children as quickly as possible. I do want to just take a moment, if you could just close your eyes right, right where you are. As you, Pastor JT talked about the Lordship of Christ, I just don't want to let this opportunity go by that if he's putting your finger, his, he's putting his finger on something in your life, Lordship starts in the heart and it's a lifelong process. And so if there's an area that he's been dealing with, whether it's your free time, your finances, a relationship, whatever it might be, the Holy Spirit, just take a moment, just real quick, say, Lord, I give it to you. I give it to you. Lordship is, is just having an open hand with all of our life, our relationships, our finances, our time, our hobbies, our interests, our future. Lord, I give it to you. Just even as the Holy Spirit would, would be putting his finger on some areas. God, I thank you that you have put those areas under your light, under your microscope, because you have the best in mind for us. Thank you so much, Lord. You've heard the prayers, even these quick little prayers of, Lord, I give it to you. And that even should be an ongoing prayer. Lord, I give it to you. Lord, I forgive. Lord, I forgive. I give it to you. Lord, what do you want? It's an attitude of lordship. It's not that I've arrived, but I'm on that journey, that walk with the Lord. Father, I pray that you'd continue to keep us, Lord Jesus, under your lordship. And we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I would like our ministry team, if you would come forward real quick. And if you need prayer in any area of your life, you can come down. These people have been trained to pray with you and for you. If you're struggling in any kind of area, whether it's finances, relationship, health, and if you have children, please go get your children that are in the children's ministry. Ministry team, if you would come down forward and help pray with people. And if you need prayer, come forward. These people will pray with you. Other than that, may God bless you and make his face to shine upon you. And we are dismissed.